Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who've decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 23, Catalina Cruz. After the win comes the work. I first interviewed Catalina Cruz in 2018 when she was a candidate for New York State's 39th Assembly District in Queens. She won that race, and in 2019, she worked to pass a historic slate of progressive legislation that's already created important changes in the lives of New Yorkers. We caught up with her to talk about some of the struggles in which she took part to pass those laws in a legislature where divisions still exist between moderate and progressive Democrats, as well as what unity means for the Democratic Party in an election year, both in New York State and in the presidential race. So is your title now Assemblywoman? Is that Assemblywoman? That's love correct. It. Well, thank you for coming, Assemblywoman Catalina Cruz. It's so Woo! exciting that I get to call you that now. <laughs> so tell me just really quickly how how was the election? The primary election was quite insane. You know, we had to make sure that we had things like poll watchers because stranger things have happened and you want to make sure that the right to vote is actually protected. I had someone standing in one of the corners screaming obscenities at me. And one week, actually, before the primary, I broke my leg. Oh, no. Yes. I fell <laughs> off a tiny stoop coming off from knocking on doors. And the very next morning, I went on Errol Lewis to do my uh, live debate with Errol Lewis. Oh. Yeah. So I was in excruciating pain during that debate, but we did fantastic. And it was actually that debate that helped a lot of the undecided voters make a choice my way. I ended up winning by 11%, and I became the first dreamer, that's the first formerly undocumented child, to be elected into the New York State legislature and third in the country. I also became the first Colombian-born legislator in the entire state of New York. And we began working really, 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 really hard. I cannot emphasize how hard we've been working to change the world just a little bit and make it better. So talk to me about that. We've had kind of a new day in the New York State legislature. Mm -hmm. Explain that to me. And what are some of the major victories that have been achieved? So for a very long time, we had a Democratic-controlled assembly, a Republican-controlled Senate, and a governor who was sometimes driven by what the people wanted and sometimes driven by politics. I don't think I'm saying anything new here. And so that statement, elections matter, is actually true. Because we ended up with a Democratic Senate that has been working hand in hand with a Democratic Assembly, at times with the governor, at times at odds with the governor, to get the people what they needed. 
But what I've also seen is there have been a few instances during the last six months where we've been trying to pass progressive legislation where there is a group of new Democrats who have been less than willing to vote yes on items that most Democrats would vote yes on, showing that just when we think things are in the clear, history repeats itself. And you get a brand new group of people who want to concentrate power in a particular way. But we've done some incredibly progressive work. I helped lead the fight for tenant protections so that people in our community are no longer displaced by money-hungry developers and landlords. I helped uh, pass the DREAM Act, which will provide kids who grew up like I did undocumented with access to education and access to funding for education. We finally passed this Reproductive Health Act codifying Roe v. Wade. We passed the Child Victims Act, which to me was extremely important because I am a survivor of child sex abuse. We helped pass a budget that is going to change the lives of millions of people. One of the things that it does is is bail reform so that people who are accused of committing petty crimes don't just sit and rot in jail while they wait for the trial because they can't afford a $300 bail. And so I feel privileged to have played a key role in making all of that happen. I know one big piece of legislation that you were very involved with was the licenses for undocumented residents. Tell me about that fight, because I feel like that fight also represents a bit of where we are now in New York State and the Democratic Party and where that division is going to be that you kind of mentioned. I helped lead in the fight to pass driver's licenses for all, which is now a law that will give any person in the state of New York who qualifies regardless of immigration status, a driver's license. An original survey was done where the majority of New Yorkers opposed this legislation. So they came to me and said, we need your help, because who better to speak about the impact of a driver's license in an undocumented family than a formerly undocumented legislator who can talk about the before and the aftermath of being able to have a piece of identification. And so the Greenlight Coalition, which is a bunch of organizations throughout the state that were helping with this, were doing town halls, community events, just educating the everyday voter about what this bill did and didn't do. It will help get money for the state. It'll help make our streets safer. It'll provide somebody with an identification card. What it will not do is give somebody the ability to vote. So every racist, xenophobic person out there on Twitter is misinformed or just doesn't want to listen. We educated folks that this is actually just reinstating something that went away 20 years ago because of a former governor who, frankly, was anti-immigrant. And we tried to humanize the issue by bringing the actual impacted community members to talk to other electeds. And so we saw that the approval ratings of this project actually increased a lot. You know, we were looking at closer to 50 percent when it originally had been about 30 percent. But I think the biggest lesson about how we were able to pass this was about what it means to have political courage at a time when our community really needs it. There are a lot of elected officials who want to talk about the immigrant experience. My grandparents are immigrants, or my parents were immigrants, or I am an immigrant, because the reality is we all come from immigrants. In order to get the votes, in order to sympathize with the everyday person, and then comes the test. The test of what are you going to do when you are really needed to fight for immigrant communities. And I will tell you that several people failed that test. Because when at the last minute, when this bill was about to pass, and the governor all of a sudden finds concerns that he could have raised a year ago, frankly, 10 years ago when we started working on this bill, and he decides to raise them right before the vote on the floor, 
that raises a lot of red flags. It made me think a lot about his commitment to our community. It made me think a lot about the commitment of other elected officials in the Senate. And ultimately, it's not up to me how to right that wrong. It's going to be up to the voters, the children of undocumented immigrants who are U.S. citizens and can vote and that are in those particular districts. They're not stupid. They saw who stood with their parents and who didn't. And they're going to take care of that. I did read a lot about this and how, you know, the whole thing went down. It was particularly difficult, and I think this is going to be an issue in 2020, for these suburban moderates. So we know a lot of these new senators who were elected in swing districts where they took over from Republicans, at least a handful, right? And for them, they felt like it was a difficult vote. And it seemed like Cuomo didn't want to push them well, with at him. Well, not push them in that direction. Right. Because he pushes people all the time. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting to see how he makes these calculations. But there was one particular senator, I think, who I read spoke in favor that it was the right thing to do to vote for this bill, but then she didn't vote for it. But it still did pass. So I guess the question I'm wondering about is we're going to be facing this split between the progressives who came in on this blue wave and the people who were moderates who also came in on this blue wave, but they're fighting a different battle. So I'll start off by saying that I am in awe of how Andrew Stewart Cousins maneuver that day because she knew that it was not just a humane thing to do, but politically the way that it needed to be done in order to save the issue, but also watch after her members in awe of that. And my hat off to our leader of the assembly, Carl. What I will say is there are those of us who get into this business, if you want to call it that, for the idea of doing the right thing and helping people. And there are those people who get into this for the idea of power. And that's where the difference lies. Because there are several members, both in the Assembly and the Senate, who took a political chance in voting yes for the DREAM Act and for licenses, simply because they knew it was the right thing to do. And they are now going to face a district that is either moderate or actually Republican-leaning. And they will have to face the music. And a lot of us will go out and campaign for them and will have their back because they had the back of our communities. The problem for me is those folks who made that calculation that it was scarier to face the music of moderate Democrats or Republicans than it was to face the people they made commitments to and promises to. I agree with you generally that a lot of the time, to me, it seems like a political calculation that they don't want to lose the votes. But what would you say to people who are saying, well, they're trying to represent their district. I would say, and I actually made this speech on the floor, there are times when the community needs to lead us and teach us about an issue and guide us through how we need to vote. And there are times when we need to be the leaders. And this was one of those times. We cannot claim to be a haven for immigrants and not do the one thing that would help protect immigrants, not only from what is coming out of Washington, but what is coming out of other countries. But let's take that all away. Let's talk about fiscal issues. I get into a car accident with someone who's undocumented and who does not have a car insurance. Who is going to incur all those costs? I am. There were numbers clearly showed the state could make at least $50 million every year on average from the fees, from the taxes. So it was a self-sustaining program. So you can't come and say to me that this is anything other than a political calculation out of fear. Right. 
Because you're saying in all ways, it is better for the state as a whole and, and ultimately better for their constituents. Absolutely. So in New York State, we've sort of achieved a lot of stuff as progressives, even not being 100 percent unified. How important is unity to you at the state level in terms of getting stuff done? And then also, how do you think that applies to the national question? Because at a national level, I'm not sure we can win in 2020 unless we do become more unified. Is that, Or is that the answer? Or is it to turn out more progressives? I, I think when it comes to the local level, I've always believed that there are Democrats and there are Democrats. There are folks who identify as Democrats and live and breathe the values. And there are others that identify as Democrats but are more right-leaning, much more cautious, and that are more concerned with the title of whatever position they have. I think when that's the case, we have to make sure that whoever ends up on that seat, it's someone who truly adheres to democratic values, to understanding that housing is a human right, that LGBTQI plus folks have human rights, that immigrants have human rights, that it's the people, not the money, who should be speaking when an elected takes a vote. And so as long as we have that, I think we're going to be in the right path. When it comes to what's going to happen at the national level, I also think we have to think about electability. People hate talking about that. But we are faced with a president who is basically a superstar. People that voted for him idolize him. They will vote for him and defend him to the death. And so what we need is an electable progressive candidate, not just anyone. And a candidate that is going to really do the work, who's going to really reach out to the black and brown communities, to who's going to really have the conversations that are difficult to have, like the race conversation in America, and stand behind that person. One of the things that I find really scary is how some of the supporters for some of the Democratic candidates are so similar in the way they behave to the Trump supporters. No matter what you say about their candidate, no matter what the candidate does, they will stand by them and believe in them as if this particular candidate was a god. And that's problematic because what's going to happen if that is not the particular candidate that ends up getting the nomination? Are we then going to be faced with a third party candidate like we were and lose this election again? Our people cannot afford that. So you're saying we need to bust our butt for whoever the nominee is. Absolutely. I plan to do that. Excellent. Excellent. 